Welcome to the Shanna Plan. This is episode 26. I am your host, Akash Anavarathan, and I am joined by a special co-host today. He's the producer for the podcast, and he's going to be uh, hosting the show with me today, Rob Stats Guerrero. Welcome, Rob. How are you? I'm good, Akash. What's going on, man? Finally, I'm happy we get to do this. Yeah, I'm excited. You always get to listen in and, and make the crazy reactions and faces when I say like <laughs> random stuff. And so now you just get to respond and, you know, shut me down. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Brace yourself. <laughs> yeah. So it is officially the NFL offseason for all 32 teams. Uh, we are recording on Tuesday after the Super Bowl. Um, it was... Not a great game. Uh, it wasn't a fun watch, um, unless you are a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Uh, but yeah, the game just wasn't great. Um, it was it was really one sided, and uh, it was very representative of the 2020 season, I think, which was just full of up and downs, and everyone was picking the Chiefs, and it was the outcome that everyone didn't expect, which was the Chiefs to just get blown out. Um, so I, I just thought it was a crazy game that. Um, you know, just good, good for the Buccaneers fans. What did you think? I thought that Tony Romo nailed it when he summed up the Buccaneers offense with three things. He said it was either a screen, a run, or a play action. And for the most part, they were kind of right. It wasn't a lot of straight dropbacks from Brady where he was, you know, looking down the field and picking up chunk plays. Most of it was as Romo called it. I thought he he absolutely nailed it. And to be honest, a lot of the time watching the game, I kept thinking this is exactly the game that I thought the 49ers were going to play against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, it's such a good point and a great segue. And one of the key things that, you know, we took away from the Super Bowl was that, you know, the team with the better offensive line and the better defensive line came out on top. The The Buccaneers dominated in the trenches. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was running for his life. I think he was pressured on more than like 50% of his dropbacks. Um, and then the offensive line, Tampa Bay were, were road graders on the ground, whether it was blocking for Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones or even protecting Tom Brady. So they dominated on both phases and, um, yeah, they ended up winning as a result. And, you know, fans love to talk about all the skill position guys, receivers, running backs, corners, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, trench plays really, really important. And that was one of the big takeaways from this game. And, um, that's something that's been a major topic of conversation for the 49ers. And I think you hit it on the head. I think these teams, you know, 2020 Tampa Bay and 2019 San Francisco are built very similarly. I mean, just look at the pass rush, look at the defensive line, and look at how the 49ers' defense is structured. They're defensive line first, um, and they want to get after quarterbacks, and they have two linebackers that are, you know, sideline to sideline, can cover, um, you know, and... uh stop the running game as well, whether it's, you know, Devin White and Levante David for Tampa Bay or it's Fred Warner and, you know, this season, Dre Greenlaw for the 49ers. So the defenses are built extremely similarly. And, and even the offenses, I thought, um, you know, Tampa Bay, I think they use play action like 43% of the time. San Francisco loves to use play action, run the ball, uh, control the clock. And I think, I think Tom Brady, you know, his stats didn't look great, but he was just in control of the game. Veteran quarterback knew exactly what to do. Uh, hit the chunk plays when he had to um, and didn't make any, you know, blunders that, you know, potentially could have cost uh, Tampa Bay in that game, even though they had one interception that got like tipped a couple of times called back. So, yeah, they're just built so similarly. And I thought Tampa, 
just came out more composed um, and they were just well coached and hence they beat the Chiefs. Whereas the 49ers last season, they just couldn't put Tampa or they couldn't put the Chiefs away, excuse me, uh, when the defense was playing so well. That, that was the similarities that I saw. One thing I mentioned earlier in the week, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I was really surprised because the Chiefs kind of came unglued a little bit. They had a couple of unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. They had the offsides penalty that was huge because it ended up being a four-point penalty. It took the field goal off the board, gave Tampa the first down. They would later score. And I just wondered in my head if the refs had called some of the flags in Super Bowl 54 that they called on Sunday – would we sort of seen the Chiefs kind of lose that composure a little bit against the 49ers? Because that was, to me, a big difference in the game also. The Chiefs ended up with, I think it was 11 penalties for like 144 yards. It was the most ever in a Super Bowl by any team, and that was a huge factor. Yeah, that's a good point, and that was uh, a point of contention on 49ers Twitter, and I, <laughs> I was making some fun as well. And, you know, uh, obviously because the Chiefs beat the 49ers, it was kind of funny to see, you know, the Chiefs getting called for all those penalties uh, in this Super Bowl because they weren't, you know, getting called for some of the things, you know, in last year's Super Bowl, um, or they got some calls that, you know, were favorable for them. Uh, but that being said, I always hate pinning it on the refs, whether, you know, win or lose, just because – you know, it's a high variant sport. There's so many plays that go into it. And very rarely, um, you know, do I think a call that a ref makes uh, has that big of an outcome where it like swings the outcome of a game. Uh, I still, th- you know, thought despite some of the missed calls last last year's Super Bowl, 49ers still had a chance to make plays down the stretch of that game. And they just couldn't for whatever reason. Um, and they just didn't execute in that fourth quarter when they were up 10. So not to make this about last year's Super Bowl, but uh, yeah, it is a good point that, you know, Tampa Bay, especially in that second quarter, got the benefit of a few calls. Uh, you could feel kind of a momentum shift. Uh, the Chiefs were kind of unraveling there, especially on defense. And credit to Tom Brady and that Bucks offense because they had a chance to bury the Chiefs and they buried them. And that's what you do against a, a team that has Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, when you get the chance to put them away, you have to put them away. Because if you let them hang around, like the 49ers let them hang around last season, they will make you pay for it. And so I I thought that was a a huge deal. Um, One of the things I wanted to hit on was the offensive line play for the Chiefs. And you and I have talked about this before, but a lot of people were talking about how Patrick Mahomes needs good pass protection to be able to play uh, well and that even an elite quarterback can't overcome poor poor pass protection. What do you think about that? Um, I think that that's not the case at all. I think if the Chiefs receivers had caught a couple balls that literally hit them in the face mask, we're going (laughs) to be saying the complete opposite. That Look, look what Patrick Mahomes can do without an offensive line. I mean, one of the plays, one of the incompletions, he's literally almost parallel with the ground. And the ball hits the receiver in the face mask. like And yes, it was incomplete. I know. It didn't count, and the Chiefs lost. But, I mean, for you to be right, you have to just ignore hideous offensive line play from the Chiefs' backups and some drops from the Chiefs' wide receivers. So I, I'm not with those people that are, that are you know, trying to downplay the significance of an elite quarterback. Yeah, and a lot of people that you know, only watch the Super Bowl and they didn't watch the Chiefs play this season. The Chiefs did not have a very good offensive line for the majority of the season. Um, they had 
you know, uh, some injuries early on, and they've, they've been shuffling that offensive line uh, throughout the year. So it's been a weak point, yet Patrick Mahomes, because he's just so talented and so freakishly good, has been, you know, disguising that, and nobody's been talking about it. Um, yet, in the Super Bowl, they had two backup tackles. They had a guard move from, like, left to right, I believe. I think the only guy that, you know, uh, has played throughout the season is their center. Um, and they were just horrible. I mean, that was like <laughs> as bad as I've ever seen an offensive line play. They were just O-laying on every play. Yes. And yet Mahomes was making throws. So just like you said, he hit, I think, Tyreek Hill in the face on one play. He hit, I think, Daryl Williams on the face. Uh, and another throw, the one where he was kind of parallel with the ground. Then there was the one that he threw to the back corner of the end zone with to Byron Pringle where – I think the DB made a pretty good play, but that throw was like in a one yard window as he was like falling to the ground, rolling to the left. (laughs) Insane. And then he had the throw to Travis Kelsey early in the first half, which he dropped. Like the Chiefs just uncharacteristically made a lot of mistakes. And a lot of people want to blame the offensive line for that. And, and yes, there is some baseline level of competent offensive line play that's required. You can't be that bad. But even despite that level of bad offensive line play, Mahomes was still making throws, which is speaks to his greatness, I think. And you cannot use that to tell me that all Jimmy Garoppolo needs is like a center and a guard because that I just don't think that's true. I think you should be able to make do with average to above average pass protection. And I think the quarterback makes the offensive line better. And I think it kind of works in hand in hand, but... Yeah, just you can't use what happened to Mahomes and compare that uh, to what happened uh, to Garoppolo in last year's Super Bowl. Yes, an elite quarterback does not mean you're going to win every game. What it means is even in adverse conditions, you have a shot to win every game. If you put Jimmy Garoppolo behind that Chiefs line that we saw in the Super Bowl, he wouldn't even last two quarters. He'd be out of the game because he'd be hurt. He would just be a greasy smear on the field like It's not even close. The fact that the Chiefs even had a shot, and you're right, Akash, they were not sharp. There was one play where I can't remember who it was. The running back runs out of the backfield on a wheel route. The Bucs are blitzing. Mahomes sees it right away and throws it, and the running back is not even looking for the ball. They were just off all night long. They were, and I I just pulled this up. So Mahomes uh, on Sunday was under pressure on 31 of 56 dropbacks. That's 56%. Uh, Garoppolo in last year's Super Bowl was under pressure on 11 of 33 dropbacks, which is 33%. So Mahomes was pressured, you know, almost 25% of the time, you know, more than Garoppolo was. And I'd argue he played better than Garoppolo did in last year's Super Bowl. So, yes, offensive line performance matters. There's some baseline level of competency that's required. But your quarterback should be able to extend plays. And, uh, you know, make magic happen when things break down because pass rushers and defensive linemen get paid too. Um, last takeaway I had from the Super Bowl, Vita Vea. I mean, holy crap. So this guy broke an ankle, you know, midway through the season, comes back uh, for the NFC Championship game. Um, he was drafted by the Bucks in 2018, kind of the same spot Javon Kinlaw did, 12th overall. Similar build. He's a Washington guy. I watched him in college. Um he just was a wrecking ball in that game, especially the last couple games for the Bucks, and is just a transformative player for their defense, whether it's in the run game or in the pass game. I mean, they had him line up inside. They had him line up wide and rush over tackles. And I was watching that game, and I was like, I hope Javon Kinlaw can become this. Because if cool. he can become this, 
man, do the 49ers have something. But that, I think that's kind of the comp and ceiling that the Niners are hoping for. And that'd be nice, too, because he didn't come out of the gates doing this right when he right. was drafted. It took him right. a couple of years to develop. And, you know, there was so much pressure on Kinlaw because he was taken over for Buckner, drafted in the first round, played the same position, wore the same number. You know, let's give it a little time here. And you're right. If 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 he can get anywhere close to what we saw from Vita Vea with Armstead and Bosa and whoever else they get on the edge, then we're looking at a, a terrorizing 49ers defensive line. Right. And it tells you that, man, defensive line pressure. And, you know, on Sunday, it was, you know, Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul and Nadamakan Su and uh, Vita Vea and all these guys. The 49ers are able to rebuild that depth the next season and just stay healthy, get Bosa back, you know, uh, find a replacement for Ford, uh, you know, get Armstead back inside, develop Kinlaw. That defensive line is going to be really, really, really good. And you can you know, expect at least that group's position, that position group's performance to be, you know, uh, 2019-like. So very much looking forward to that, especially uh, after what the Bucks did on Sunday. Uh, moving along, some 49ers transactions from the week. Uh, they re-signed, uh, you know, restricted free agents, uh, Josh Rosen and Austin Walter. So those guys were both exclusive uh, restricted free agents. They were both back on one-year extensions. Uh, just looking at the tender prices and kind of guesstimating what the contracts were because the official numbers aren't out. I think Rosen is, will be making around 750000 whereas Walter will be making around 650000 Um, Given the fact that those numbers will likely not exceed the top 51 number in the offseason, they likely won't even count against the cap, which is really good. And then in season, if they make the roster, those are extremely low numbers for um, you know, a backup quarterback and potentially like an RB four. So thought those are good moves. Those are salary cap saving moves. Um, as the 49er try to clear any amount of money before they hit free agency. Um, stats, how much of an impact do you think Josh Rosen and Austin Walter will have this upcoming season? Well, the thing I like about Josh Rosen is if let's say Jimmy comes back and then gets hurt again and misses time, I have confidence that Kyle can take Josh Rosen and win a game or two. Not eight games, like nothing like that. But, you know, Rosen's a guy that was a first-round pick, flash potential, seemingly is a smart kid. So I think it's a good move. I think the 49ers have to upgrade their quarterbacks behind the starter. Just you can't come back with Mullins and, and Bethard again. So I like the Rosen move, just like I like the Josh Johnson move. The quarterback room right now I think is shaping up a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point. And right now, so the quarterback room is Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Josh Rosen, and Josh Johnson. A lot of J names. But (laughs) that so typically, Kyle Shanahan likes to bring in four guys into the offseason program. They've got three right now. Obviously, Mullins, uh, restricted free agent. Bethard is an unrestricted free agent. And I tweeted earlier, I think one or both of those guys are not coming back, which... You know, I think it, it's much to the delight of 49ers fans, but it's kind of surprising that the room could potentially look very much different uh, heading into next season, which I think is much needed. So just just what is your confidence level of this group, assuming, you know, they don't add like a veteran backup? I would be, I would call it a six out of 10, maybe. Okay. I okay. think, you know, Kyle's going to make these guys better than they are. But they're, they are who they are for a reason. Josh Johnson hasn't been a starting quarterback for a reason. Josh Rosen has basically been a spectator for most of his career. And he, that's why, like, one or two games, I'm, I am feel good. Like, I feel confident yeah. 
pretty much against, you know, maybe not the elite teams, but anybody else, I'd feel pretty good. Now, for an extended stretch, not so much, but hopefully that is not a path that the 49ers have to walk down for the second year in a row. Yeah, like, you know, Kyle and I have said on the show for a while now, if your starting quarterback goes down, your season is most likely toast. Uh, You could get, you know, by one or two games, like you just said. But if they're gone for like half the season or more, then your season's probably done anyways. And somehow the 49ers kept fighting the season and we were on the roller coaster ride of like, are they making the playoffs? Are they not? And they hung around with Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard, and I don't think you can get any worse than that. So, (laughs) yeah, I would say about a 6 out of 10. Obviously, the biggest conversation moving forward is going to be uh, regarding their starting quarterback, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, whether he is going to be here for next season or not. Uh, On that note, there were some reports this week. So the first report uh, from Ben Albright was that the 49ers were one of the teams to call in on Carson Wentz, the Eagles quarterback that is likely to be traded soon here. Uh, What did you make of that report and that the fact that the 49ers called in on Wentz? Makes sense to me. They have openly said they're looking for an upgrade. I think the 49ers kind of thing is this. Hey, uh, Howie Roseman. Hey, it's John Lynch. How you doing? So what are you guys asking for for Wentz? Two firsts, whatever. Okay, thanks. Bye. That that is a call in on Carson Wentz. You know, if the Eagles had said we want a fourth or fifth round pick, maybe the Niners would have been interested. But I think it was anything, you know, they had their price in mind. And if it was anything more than that, that was going to be the end of the conversation. Yeah, I think that's a really good take. And Albright had a follow up tweet today that I thought uh, summed up the situation very well. Smart front offices call in on just about any player or any good player uh, just to get a sense of what their value is, what they're worth, what they think they can be acquired for. Because good front offices, and good teams in general have multiple plans of how they construct their roster. And they don't go tunnel vision um, of, okay, we're going to just lock in on this one player or this free agent or this draft pick just because you have to be, um, you know, looking at all the different avenues of how you can upgrade your team. So I think it's good that the 49ers called in on Carson Wentz. Um, Is he an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo? That's a different conversation we can have for another day. I think he is just given his physical tools and given the fact that he's going to be cheaper than Garoppolo over the next few seasons. But his play in 2020 was pretty bad. That's a red flag. Uh, And just his character concerns in the locker room. I've, you know, you probably have as well. I've heard some things where it's just been messy, um, just ego driven type stuff in the locker room that drives guys away. And that just hasn't been an issue with Jimmy Garoppolo, despite all the things, all the negative things we say about him on this podcast. So that would be another red flag of Wentz. And uh, yeah, so I think they called in. They probably, just like you said, they called in, checked in with Howie, asked what the price was. Eagles look like they want multiple firsts and maybe a quarterback back. <laughs> John Lynch probably hung up ASAP because he was like, no, thank you. And, you know, it complicates things that the 49ers have the 12th overall pick because that's a, a really, really good, you know, first round pick. If they were in drafting in the 20s, the late 20s, like they were last season, or I think last season was 31, your first round pick is like, okay, you can send that for, you know, Stafford or Wentz or whatever. But when you're drafting 12, that's an important pick. So you just can't, you know, use it as part of a package for a player that you're not completely sold on. So that that was my take with uh, Carson Wentz. Um, I do think he gets moved to either Chicago or Indianapolis. Sounds like the two favorites. If you had to guess, where do you think he's going? I think he's going to go to Chicago because I think that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are desperate enough 
to make this move because they know this is the, this is it. If they don't yeah. show anything next year, they're going to be fired. So they don't care about first round picks two years from now, three years from now, whatever the case may be. The yeah. Colts are not desperate enough to make that move. I think the I think the Colts could call up the Falcons and say, "Hey, let's work out something for Matt Ryan and be just as happy." So they're not desperate and they're not stupid. The Bears are both of those things, and they are the team that I think is going to move for Carson Wentz. That's such a good point because I think the Colts and the 49ers are kind of in the same boat in terms of you know how their coaching staff and front office views things. Very much a value-driven front office. They look for a really good deal versus being you know desperate and uh, making a move for something that they don't necessarily need to do. Whereas the Bears, like you mentioned, those guys don't really care about first-round picks two years down the line because they may not be there. They may not have a job there. So they're thinking, how do I keep my job this year? And from an ownership standpoint, that's actually bad business, I think, because now you're mortgaging your future over guys that are that may not be here. So it, it kind of gets dicey there. But yes, I do agree that the 49ers and Colts will slow play this. And... um you know, just with quarterbacks in general and won't necessarily overpay for any one of these guys because they're not in a dire, desperate spot. You mentioned the 49ers are a value-driven franchise, and I agree that they are. Do you agree, though, that when you're in this sort of Super Bowl window that the 49ers are in, that it may be the situation may call for you to make a deal that's not necessarily the best value in order to get the deal done? Like, is there the, can you make the case that sometimes they might have to make not the perfect deal just to make a deal to get over the hump? Yeah, that's where it gets dicey. And I've listened to a few other people on this and here was my take uh, from a few days ago. It was that when you trade for a quarterback and one of these veteran quarterbacks are available, it's got to hurt, right? Like in terms of the draft capital that you give up, in terms of the salary cap space that it'll eat, or the players that you have to give up, or the culture that you have to break up, whatever the case is, there's got to be some like pain associated with it because there's no free lunch when you get a franchise quarterback. Uh, there's some risk associated with it, and the 49ers, at least in the moves they've made so far, are very risk-averse, in my opinion. They make moves where yeah it's low risk right like trading you know a second round pick for jimmy garoppolo that in most people's eyes was like wow they got a steal or a second round pick for d ford um or you know a third and a fifth for trent williams they just they do these like value low risk deals where if that player doesn't work out if that player you know leaves in a year in free agency or whatever the case it doesn't hurt as much because of the draft capital of that you know, was associated. They're not like the Seahawks giving up two first round picks for Jamal Adams or uh, whatever it was for Jalen Ramsey or Odell Beckham Jr. They're in on all these guys, but once they realize that, you know, the risk gets too high, they tap out a little bit, which when it comes to the quarterback position, you can't be that way because there's enough teams out there that want the player that you do that you have to do something that hurts a little bit to get that said player. And I think that comes back to Deshaun Watson, obviously. His asking price is probably monumental. And if he does get traded, everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, that's a lot. And it's going to hurt, and we're going to talk about it, and we're like, oh, my God, they gave up a lot. But then in a year or two and three years or whatever, when he's balling, you're not going to worry about those first-round picks, right? And so that's where, that's where it comes back to. And obviously, it depends on the player you're talking about, whether it's like Wentz or you know Stafford versus a Watson. Obviously, Watson probably makes – you know, gives you the most ease, but yeah, that's what it comes down to. And I'm not sure the 49ers have that quick trigger to pull 
on like a big trade. You th- do you think they do? What you just said terrifies me because what you've basically said is that the 49ers are never going to have a franchise quarterback under this regime because I don't think they're ever going to finish. They're ever going to be bad enough to finish at the top of the draft to draft a guy. And if they're not going to be willing to take these risky moves, like you said, how are they going to get the quarterback? I mean, even look at what was Kyle Shanahan's plan when he came in, right? It was Kirk Cousins. What were they going to have to give up to get Kirk Cousins? Nothing but money. And Kyle knew him like the back of his hand. In, in his mind, I'm sure there was zero risk in that move. And so that was their plan. They didn't scout Patrick Mahomes as well as they should have because they were tunnel vision and locked in on Kirk Cousins. It was too much risk with Mahomes, right? Well, then Jimmy Garoppolo falls into their lap, like you just said. Second round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. Every team in the league would have made that move. And the 49ers were were roundly praised when the deal happened. Again, low risk. Well, now here we are. They're going to need to do something because I think going with Jimmy now has also become risky. So no matter what they do, they're going to take a risk. But I, I, you're worrying me, Akash, that they're not going to take a big swing here. Yeah, I mean, so this is where we get back to. In like 2017, Kyle Shanahan may view the quarterback position differently. He may view, you know, coming into being a head coach fresh off of, you know, being an offensive coordinator. He may have looked at the quarterback position in a certain way. And then after three years of, you know, three out of four losing seasons, he probably views the quarterback position differently. I would hope, right? I hope there's some growth and evolution and like how he views the game now as a head coach and that winning matters. And, you know, it's, it's a quarterback driven league and all those things. And I'm sure he knows that. Um, and so I hope that they can change that direction and they're able to, you know, upgrade at the quarterback position one way or the other, whether it's a trade for Deshaun Watson or, you know, they trade up in the draft for a rookie or, you know, they make another veteran trade and, you know, good segue. One of the other guys that's, you know, on the market, on the fence, Sam Darnold, the Jets, you know, former first round pick, uh, Jason LaConfora reported uh, during the Super Bowl pregame show that Kyle Shanahan was extremely high on Sam Darnold. And I went back uh, yesterday or today, and I was reading through what Kyle Shanahan said about Sam Darnold before they played earlier this season because it was the first time they played. Said he's a very good player. He is. He's going to have a very good career in this league. He can throw it very well. He sees the field extremely well. We have to make sure to not let him get comfortable because when he does, he'll show everyone why he's that good. And someone else had tweeted this. Mike Shanahan was on with Colin Coward before the Darnold draft. And he had a very high review of Sam Darnold about how everyone loves him in the locker room, how he's just such a good teammate, very coachable, um, a little reckless as a passer. But he said, yeah, we like reckless. Um, And so that's what the elder Shanahan had to say pre-draft, obviously three years ago, and opinions can have changed. So that begs the question, Sam Darnold, is that an upgrade? And should the 49ers make a move there? I don't think so because he's younger, yes, and cheaper, but he has the same problems. He's always hurt and he turns the ball over. So what are you really getting if you get Sam Darnold? I mean, if he's got a lot of the same problems, I think I'd rather have Jimmy Garoppolo, to be honest with you. Yeah, so Sam Darnold has played 13, 13, and 12 games in his uh, three seasons in the NFL. His stats are horrendous. I mean, <laughs> you look at his completion percentage, there it's like a, he's a 59% career passer. 
his touchdown interception ratio is basically like one to one. It's 45 touchdowns to 39 picks. Um, his interception percentage 3.2 is higher than Jimmy Garoppolo's. His passer rating is 78, which is, is pretty bad. Um, and you just look at all these things. It's like, Oh my God, are the 49ers going to make, you know, after missing on Stafford, after missing on potentially Wentz, maybe missing on Watson, are they going to come away <laughs> this off season with Sam Darnold? <laughs> now what? we fixed it. Now we fixed it. Yeah. And <laughs> the funniest thing is it's like the move that I would expect the 49ers to make. Cause Darnold's probably, you know, the, you know, the cheapest quarterback on the market. So you could get him for the least. And he has some upside because he's going to be 24 years old. He's still got a good arm. He's still mobile. Uh, he's still moldable, I think. And you just, you talk yourself into like, okay, he's been with Adam Gase the last two seasons. Um, they run, you know, I think they're one of the bottom 10 play action teams. He was the most pressured quarterback the last two seasons I saw. So you just talk yourself into all these things and you're like, okay, maybe we could, you know, have Sam Darnold and have him do what at least Jimmy Garoppolo does. And then hopefully we can mold him into something uh, better as his career goes on. The one advantage to Sam Darnold is he's only going to make like four and a half million dollars next season. That's massive. Yeah, okay, but this just in, good players cost money. Like, there's a reason he's not making any money. He's on a rookie deal, and he's not that good. Like, That is I, true. I, I don't want it. I don't like it. I don't want the guy that's seeing ghosts. <laughs> I, it can't all be Adam Gase's fault. That's my thing. That's yes, true. it's his yeah. numbers I'm sure would be better somewhere else. I'm willing to agree to that, and he does flash some some impressive skills, but it can't all be Adam Gase's fault. And if he's 10% better than he showed in New York – what do you you're still yeah. needing a quarterback yeah that's a good point and that's where i am on sam darnold in terms of when you actually just think about darnold in a vacuum you go watch some of his games he is so up and down he'll make one crazy throw on the move uh and you'll think oh my god he's got something and then the next play he'll be sitting in the pocket unable to read the defense and get sacked or the ghost play that you're referring to. I think it was a Monday night game against the Patriots where he thought he was being pressured and then he just threw it up and it got picked. That was a bad one. But <laughs> his play is just so up and down. The advanced stats are terrible. The counting stats are terrible. Like there's nothing in his game outside of like his physical upside that you're that you could just get like excited by. And that's where the risk play comes into. Um, okay, let me pose a question for you this way. Would you rather have Sam Darnold you know, um, for pick 43, or would you, would you rather just take a rookie quarterback at 12 or in a trade up situation? That's literally what's the next thing I was going to say to you. I would rather have a rookie quarterback because even though Darnold is young, he has years in the NFL that has shown what he is. The rookie quarterback, while it's also a risk, it could be, you know, a Matt Stafford, Patrick Mahomes, you know, a super uber talented person. So yeah. I would much rather just spend the draft pick on the quarterback because the the ceiling to me is higher. Darnold has sort of shown what he is at this point, and, and what he is is not the quarterback for my team. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's got to be the conversations that Kyle Shanahan's having with John Lynch. He's it's It must be extremely difficult to figure out, can you fix Sam Darnold? Like, hey, John, we're putting our like careers. I doubt they get fired because of it because they have the security, but – 
we're putting, you know, our future here over the next few years on the line by trading for Sam Darnold. Like, can we fix this guy? Because this guy has been like a bottom five quarterback. And fast. Yeah, and fast. Because you've got a good roster and, you know, making a move like shipping Jimmy Garoppolo out, who's, despite his flaws, is beloved in the locker room uh, from what they say publicly and is viewed positively with the 49ers. So shipping him out to get Sam Darnold and say that doesn't hit, that could just be a major whiff and it could almost work out worse. But flip side is if he just is able to have like a Ryan Tannehill type resurgence and is able to just thrive under Kyle Shanahan's offense, then it could be just like really good value because now you have a 24-year-old franchise quarterback who, again, you'll pick up the fifth-year option. He'll be like $24 million, you know, in 2020, you know, 2022. So there's some options there. There's some options. And I think ultimately it comes down to, A, is Sam Darnold going to be available? And the Jets would have to like a rookie quarterback for that to happen. And then B, what did the 49ers have to give in a trade situation? I would, there's no way in hell I'm giving pick 12, obviously. The one thing I would consider is swapping firsts with the Jets. So the Niners move to 23, the Jets move to 12, and the Niners get Sam Darnold. So at least the Niners still keep their first round pick. They move back a little bit uh, and they get Darnold. So that I wouldn't mind as much because you're not necessarily just giving away draft capital. Um so that that would be my Sam Darnold uh, opinion. I don't like it. I just <laughs> the good teams go into a season with very few questions. The Chiefs going into this season was basically if Patrick Mahomes stays healthy, we're going to be good. Now you're asking the 49ers to come into a season if Bosa comes back healthy and is really good, if they can replace D Ford, if they can re-sign Trent Williams. If they could figure out a secondary. Now it's if we trade for a quarterback who hopefully doesn't cost too much in draft capital. And by the way, we have to fix him and turn him into a player that we've never, ever seen on a consistent basis, learning a super complicated offense with with no offseason. Great. Like that is not that's the plan. You That's the best plan you came up with in three months of trying to plan for this. Yeah, the criticism that will follow if the 49ers trade for Darnold and then ship out Garoppolo is going to be loud, loud. Because that is a player that's not a direct upgrade right now. I've said this, Garoppolo, better quarterback, better player right now. He just has more upside because his physical like gifts and talents are better than Garoppolo's. But he also has a lower floor than Jimmy, assuming they both play, which is also the scary part. So there's a wide variance with Darnold. That's the risk you take for trading him. But yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating because I think Darnold will be the next sort of, uh, you know... Uh, domino. Domino, thank you. Uh, to fall after Wentz gets traded uh, in this crazy offseason of quarterback moves. Speaking of NFL quarterbacks that look to be on the move, Russell Wilson, Walter Payton Man of the Year, was sitting with Roger Goodell in the box. Actually, look kind of unhappy. What do you think? Oh, he... He was unhappy and told Dan Patrick today that he was unhappy because he wants to be playing in the game. <laughs> and I don't blame him if if you're a quarterback as good as he is. I don't blame him. The other thing I always wonder is when they wear sunglasses indoors, like can yeah. they even see the game? I, <laughs> I, I never get it, but uh, I divulge. So the big thing, again, a Jason Locke Confora report. Again, he's not he's not 100% on all of his reports, so he's he's been a little hit or miss on the past, so I don't know the complete validity, but... He did say that uh, 
Russ's camp, so Russ Wilson's camp, is unhappy with the Seahawks front office uh, and just their inabilities to uh, protect Russell Wilson over the past, you know, few years. And obviously that's a huge issue when we talk about um, Russell Wilson, just his offensive line and how it's been, you know, just a mess of moving parts and, you know, how they haven't been able to protect him. So I thought that was interesting. And then immediately Tuesday morning, Russell Wilson is somehow on the Dan Patrick show. And I don't know, this is a conspiracy theory in me, conspiracy theorist in me. Did he set that up where he, like, they released the news and then he ended up on the Dan Patrick show? Or is he just on the Dan Patrick show because he's the Walter Payton Man of the Year and he's doing, like, a media tour, whatever. But it was, like, oddly weird timing. What do you think? (laughs) None of that was by accident. And there's no such thing as a coincidence, Akash. I mean, look, nobody is better at using a lot of words and saying nothing than Russell Wilson. If he wanted to just go on the DP show because it was the man of the year and all that, he knows how to give up an appearance, a media interview, and not say much. He said what he said. He told Dan Patrick he's been hit too often. He told Dan Patrick that he wants to be involved in coaching decisions, in personnel decisions, and he said that when DP asked him if he was available, he said, I don't know. You'll have to ask the Seahawks. Yeah, it, it was pretty crazy. And if you go and watch the audio, the the Dan Patrick show, they tweeted out some clips. DP does a really, really good job at interviewing and really pulling out the answer out of you. And Russell Wilson historically is your like very PR, like very cookie cutter answer. Doesn't really say anything. Um, it's just like textbook with his answers. But Dan Patrick was really trying to pull him out, you know, pull the answer out of him. And he just kept asking, um, you know, like, hey, are you involved in personnel decisions? And Russ chuckles a little. He's like, Haha, like, I could give you guys the truth, but I'm trying to figure out how to word this so that it doesn't come off badly. And, you know, DP kept, you know, pushing away. And Russ eventually said, no, I'm not. Um, and he just basically said, you know, Tom Brady, LeBron James, they get personnel say. Um, and he's like, I think that dialogue should happen more often, in my opinion. I think we should have those conversations, and uh, I should have some say. My first take is, I think that's interesting. Um, you know, I'm all for quarterbacks, especially having some say uh, in the personnel, but here's where I struggle, right? Especially in football, in the NFL, team building is difficult. It's like this like giant puzzle in order to put together a roster, between the draft, free agency, trades, the salary cap, your draft picks. Like, there's so much scouting work that goes in between the pro personnel department, the college personnel department, and, you know, the GM and all these guys that go into, you know, just building kind of what their future is going to look like. And they plan, you know, multiple years in advance. And when a player, especially even of Russ's caliber, comes in and is asking for certain players or whatever the case is, there's no guarantee that the front office is A, going to agree with that, and then B, going to be able to make you know Russ's wishes come true. Right. And you, you imagine in Russ's case, he's asking for you know veteran star players that are hitting free agency, especially along the offensive line. He's not like looking at you know like sixth round draft picks, like watching film of dudes at like Appalachian State, and he's like, "There's this value pick on the offensive." Line. It's not that, right? He's looking at like Corey Lindsley. Go get me that guy. And that's difficult. To, that that's difficult in the, in the NFL. And I feel like there'll be more friction if Russ makes recommendations and the front office doesn't come through, even if they want those guys because of cost or whatever. 
And I feel like that it's just a slippery slope um, with players in front office, especially in the NFL, because it's just so hard to team build and plan for that kind of stuff. What do you think about the team building thing? Yeah, I mean, look, it's not the NBA. It's one thing for LeBron and, and Chris Paul and all these guys to say, hey, let's all get together and make this thing work. It's like you said, it's a puzzle. It's it's like a it's like a watch. All the parts have to fit together perfectly in order for the thing to function. And there's so many more players to worry about and contract situations. And you you have to have depth. I mean, Russ should know. The Seahawks built their team on late round picks. Richard Sherman, Russ himself was a third round pick. You know, they didn't exactly crush it with first round picks all the time. So those guys, you know, you got to be able to, to build your team that way. You can't just go out, like you said, and get all these guys that Russ wants to have. The, the part that stuck out to me is you've got, the ultimate, so to speak, team guy in Russell Wilson, who ends every interview he does with Go Hawks. And this is now the second straight offseason that he has publicly criticized that team. He did it last year. He did it this year. Even earlier this year, he said that they were too passive at times. And, you know, now he's talking about he wants control over personnel. Now he's saying he got got hit too much. I mean, his criticisms are getting more consistent. They're getting louder. And now they're getting specific. I've, yeah. I, I agree with you, and especially the latter half of the season, watching Russell Wilson, especially when they played the 49ers in like week 17, man, Russell Wilson just did not look good the latter half. He looked like he was holding on to the ball a little too long. He looked like he was getting out of clean pockets. He was just making plays that we're not used to seeing Russell Wilson make, considering they had DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Greg Olson, and they had all these guys, and their offensive line was not bad. Um, you know, they were they as good as they have, you know, uh, can be? I don't think so. But they were better than some of the years where they've been pathetic. And they got, you know, bounced in the first round by a Rams team that basically took them to the shed. And I think that still stings Russell Wilson a little bit. And he's asking for, you know, more sane personnel or whatever the case is. And I will credit Seattle's front office for this. They're an extremely aggressive front office. We criticize the 49ers for being, you know, the value, you know, the economic exercise. John Schneider, man, he puts his, you know, chips to the middle of the table. Last year, they made the move for Jadavion Clowney. They've traded for Dwayne Brown in the past. Obviously, they traded two ones for Jamal Adams. They've traded for Quandre Diggs midseason. They continue to make moves uh, to help this roster. Maybe it's not offense, you know, the offensive line necessarily, but... They continue to bring stars around Russell Wilson at whatever the cost is. And yes, not every move is going to work out in the NFL. That's how it works. There's some risk. There's unknowns in the draft, whatever. But I do respect the fact that they're aggressive. This isn't like Green Bay's front office that's kind of conservative, right? They make moves, and he's still, you know, criticizing them for it. So I don't know, man. It, it's been weird in Seattle. I don't think he gets traded or anything like that. But it's something to monitor that, you know, Russ Wilson and Pete Carroll and John Schneider and they fired Schottenheimer and all these guys are just kind of beefing a little bit. And uh, it's something to monitor. Do you think he gets moved? I don't know if he gets moved, but you said it. Something stinks in Seattle right now. And don't forget, there was that report from NFL media that the Seahawks have received calls about him. So something led NFL teams to think that they might be able to pry Russell Wilson away from the Seahawks. That's not nothing. Chiefs are not getting calls on Patrick Mahomes. Like, there's a difference there. Something's going on that let teams think that maybe we could make this happen. So, I don't know. Like you said, let's just keep watching. But I think something stinks in Seattle and it ain't the fish market. 
Yeah, that's a pipe place down the street from me, actually. But yeah, so the one Photoshop you will not see on 49ers Twitter is Russ Wilson in a 49ers jersey. Nope, nope, nope. And that's not because they won't want him. That's because the Niners can offer everything they've got, and the Seahawks will not send Russell Wilson to the 49ers. They They will send him anywhere except for the 49ers. Hold on. Let's just, for the sake of argument, say that they were willing to trade him to the Niners. Could you could you root for Russell Wilson as the Niners quarterback? Uh, not the person, but, you know, the player probably I could. But, you know, that's ultimately what it comes down to. I, I could root for the player. I think him in a Kyle Shanahan system would actually be really, really interesting to watch. Oh, it would be. Because, you know, he's never really had a short to intermediate game in the NFL. It's always been, you know, this deep, you know, deep bombs, and then he's able to make plays on the move backyard style, and then being put into a system. And if he's able to buy into it, I think it would be really, really fun to watch. And that's why the that's why I don't think the Seahawks would ever trade him to the 49ers because in the event that they trade him and he's able to win a Super Bowl with the 49ers, man, the Seahawks could never live that down. He's probably the most famous player in the franchise. You can't send him to a team rival. No, no, absolutely not. They would never, ever do it. But I, I, I couldn't do it. There would be something weird to me about rooting for Russell Wilson and having him be the 49ers quarterback. Like I, even if it could happen, I don't think I want it to happen. I just, I can't do it. It's just not, it's, I would have to take a shower after every game. (laughs) Yeah. Those press conferences would be exhausting right now, you know, no shot to Jimmy Garoppolo, but he's not the most interesting presser and Russ Wilson is probably a worse listen at at the podium. So yeah, yeah. As a, as a media person, you want someone that's really exciting and just is like upfront and lays it all out there. So you get, you know, stuff to talk about and write about. But yeah, those two guys aren't it. But yes, if Russell Wilson does leave the NFC West, which I would say is like really unlikely, that really changes the 49ers thinking now because immediately the Seahawks like are probably going to blow it up and rebuild. And you can now compete with the Rams uh for the division whereas right now you're in this weird spot where your quarterback isn't as good as the other three guys but your roster is probably more complete and you're just in this weird spot but if russ and the four and the seahawks were able to blow it up then it's a different conversation and the 49ers would maybe like push their chips in a little bit more so interesting 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 stuff uh for the offseason is it weird or does it feel like every quarterback wants out when adam Schefter put out that tweet a few weeks ago where he said that he put the over under on quarterback movement at 18 and a half. And he said he took the over. That was like Adam Schefter doesn't say stuff like that. Adam Schefter is basically a five minute heads up on whatever the team is going to release in a press release for him to say that. Like I was like, whoa. And come to find out, we're seeing a lot of guys potentially on the move. Yeah. The Aaron Rodgers thing continues to get floated around. I don't know how to wear. Now you throw in Russ Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Sam Darnold, Carson Wentz. I don't know, man. It feels like this offseason, everybody wants out and it's looking for something new. So yeah, quarterback movement. It's the talk of the offseason. I know people are exhausted, but it's a fun conversation to talk about uh, as long as it's not Jimmy Garoppolo. So (laughs) (laughs) the last thing I wanted to hit on before we leave for the day so the 49ers um, futures. So I got an email this morning about betting odds for favorites to win the NFC in 2021. The 49ers currently have the fourth best odds at 7-1. to one. They are behind the Green Bay Packers, Los Angeles Rams, 
Um, and I'm blanking on the third team right now. Uh, I told you what it was earlier, didn't I? I wasn't listening. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ah, of course. The, the <laughs> reigning Super Bowl champions. Yeah, of course. All right. So the Buccaneers are at 15 to 4. The Rams are at 11 to 2. The Packers are at 23 to 4. And the Niners are at 7 to 1. So the Niners right now have better odds than the playoff team, Saints, Seahawks, nah, Washington football team, whatever, and, and the rest of the teams in the NFC. That is insane. What do you think about that? I think that if you think the 49ers are going to go make a move for a quarterback, put your money down now. Like yeah. if you think they're going to yeah. upgrade now is the time to make that bet. Um, but I think that Vegas sees what we have kind of been seeing that the, the roster is in a really good spot. I think they know that Kyle Shanahan is a really good coach. And look, even in the, in the division, when the Niners were, you know, when weren't besieged by injuries, they split with the Seahawks and they dominated the Rams. So it's it's not crazy that they're fourth. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I said it earlier, it's Kyle Shanahan respect. It's the fact that the coaching staff, despite having, you know, one of the most injured teams in recent memory, went six and ten and basically were competing for a playoff spot in the last few weeks. Combine that with the fact that, you know, they're gonna get, you know, franchise cor- cornerstones back and like Nick Bosa and George Kittle's finally gonna be healthy and you know, potentially they may have Jimmy Garoppolo or someone else at, at quarterback. That's not Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard. And yeah, despite the number of free agents they have, all that kind of stuff, coaching turnover, et cetera, they're still, you know, they have the fourth best odds. And that should tell you how good this team has been in the past, how good this roster still is, how good this coaching staff is, and why, despite all the sky is falling conversations that we have about quarterback, they are still very much a good team uh, that should compete in the NFC next season. God willing. God God willing, yeah. Uh, pray to the injury gods. Hopefully there is some regression to the mean on injuries next season. And the 49ers can stay healthy. Uh, that is all I have, Rob. Do you have anything else to add? I don't. I just, again, enjoy this offseason. Some people are complaining about it. Some members of 49ers media are complaining about it. To me, an offseason where any day you wake up and you could have a moment on your phone that makes you swear out loud, that's a fun offseason. So buckle up and embrace it. Yeah, that's a good point. You bring up a lot of people. It seems like they're making fun of or, you know, clowning the discussion about quarterbacks and can the 49ers make a move and why we're always talking about it. We're talking about it, A, because it's the offseason. There's nothing else to talk about. And B, because it's interesting, right? And the 49ers haven't shut the door on it. They haven't said, hey, we're definitely bringing Jimmy Garoppolo back. You know, they've made it clear what their stance is. And that allows for open-ended interpretation and honest conversation. So uh, I do enjoy that people partake in that as long as you know we're keeping it real so yeah that's all i have i appreciate you guys for listening uh as always go ahead and subscribe to the podcast go ahead and rate it five stars um especially this week because kp is being a fantastic dad so so make <laughs> so make sure to uh rate it five stars uh go as go ahead and drop us a review as well um we really do appreciate you uh you can find me at twitter at a-k-a-s-h-a-n-a-v uh, always tweet at me with your quarterback stuff. Stats, where can they find you? I am on Twitter at Stats on Fire. As I like to say, I am there for the arguments. <laughs> he really is. Appreciate it, guys. And with that, it is Go Niners.